And welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And obviously the big story this week that a lot of people are going to be focusing on, and already there's been a tremendous amount of coverage, if you can call it that, of already is the Bahrain Conference. I would call it a conference. I guess the official title is Workshop. It is not a peace summit. It is not a peace negotiation. Uh, the titles that people are giving it are very important because depending on the title, you can, ex- you can sort of guess where they're going to go with their so-called analysis or predictions for it. The literal point of this conference slash workshop is for the United States and specifically the Trump administration, to lay out the economic incentives the United States and its allied nations in the region are willing to uh, present. The, the, the economic incentives and plans that the United States is willing to coordinate along with other countries in the region to help the Palestinian people achieve more economic wealth, more economic security, more economic opportunities, and that is a major key towards peace, the official statement, at least, by the Trump administration. That's an official key to peace. And that is what's going on in Bahrain. Again, it's not the leaders of Israel or and the Arab countries sitting down with Palestinians or the United States trying to work out borders or political agreements. It's literally... A, a, a basically like an offer sheet. Here's what is available to you, Palestinians, if you're willing to get into a serious peace agreement with the Israelis. And what's really interesting about this, just even before you talk about the details of this conference slash workshop, is already, again, you see this the, the incredible amount of misinformation that goes out in the Middle East. Most, from the Middle East, most people in Europe, most people in Western countries, uh, I have been led to believe, and the way that they talk about it, and the way that their newspapers and television news media talks about it, it's the Israelis who are being obstinate. They're not sitting down with the Palestinians, when in fact it's been the Palestinians who have refused to negotiate under any circumstances for many, many, many years now. And even before this Bahrain conference workshop was announced, uh, just when the Trump administration was saying they're putting together a peace plan with no details being leaked from it, the Palestinian Authority leaders rejected it sight unseen, and they continue to do that. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about how much they're rejecting it. Um, but this is what you're seeing right now. Now, here in the United States, in, in, in our New York, Washington-centered news media, uh, which, by the way, is ever more centered in New York and Washington than it's ever been before, despite the fact that we have the Internet now and we have so many other outlets, the shrinking of the news media now has led to uh, you know, the shrinking of the established news media, even combined with the large amount of online news media, the, the percentage of journalists who are either based in the Washington, D.C. or New York area is much higher than it was 25 and 50 years ago. It's something like one out of, more than one out of five full-time paid journalists in America are either based in New York or Washington, and it used to be uh, a much lower number than that. So it's, it's really, that, that's really the, the dominant source and, and geographic bias that we get in news media, which is just as strong as the political bias and just as strong as the other biases that are out there. But what we've seen mostly from that New York, Washington dominated mainstream news media since this conference was announced and since the peace plan was announced is focusing it on the personality of Jared Kushner. The news media hates Jared Kushner. They want to bash him as much as possible. They want to jeer at him as much as possible. So you almost never see a story in a newspaper 
or a website or on television about this either this peace conference workshop or the entire peace plan without his picture on it because they want to make it about him. And there is some reasoning for that that makes sense. Um, many of you who know a little bit about journalism know that when you, especially when you're talking about financial matters or major political issues, it's a smarter thing to do from a point of view of selling your story and getting people to understand your story to personalize it in a way that it becomes less about issues and less about corporations and less about institutions and more about personalities because people can grasp a personality much easier than they can grasp an issue and an institution. And whereas that is a smart thing to do when you're trying to present a story in a newspaper or on TV or on the internet, it's not the best intellectual exercise. Uh, and I'll give you an example from our regular life, speaking of personalizing stories. You know, when you sit on a train and you hear people having a conversation, the next five or six times you're, you're commuting either in New York, if you're someone who commutes on public transportation, mass transportation, and you're overhearing conversations, and I mean conversations between people, or if it's somebody on their on their phone, maybe you can get the gist of, uh, that he's talking, that he or she is talking to somebody else. Nine times out of ten, I guarantee you, they will be talking about other people. They'll be talking about people, most of the time complaining about them, maybe laughing about them, uh, every once in a while saying something nice, but they're talking about other people, which is something that we humans do all the time, absolutely. But when you really get lucky, you'll hear people talking about ideas. You'll hear people talking about institutions and things that they do. Now, that's rare. It's rare. And the reason why it's rare is because that requires a little bit more intelligence. That requires a little bit more thinking. Whereas you can talk about something. You can, you, you can sound catty and talk about what somebody had to say or what they wore or what they look like or what they sound, seem like uh, without much intelligence and without much thinking and without much real ref reflection. And anyway, so that's something that the news media has to use at times. I am not going to castigate the news media for personalizing stories. But the overemphasis on Kushner as a person is coming from a mean place. It's coming from a caddy place. It's not coming from a journalistic, um, intellectual place whatsoever. And that is one of the reasons why you get a lot of coverage about this conference and a lot of coverage about the peace plan in general. There's a jeering at Jared Kushner party going on that these people want to get involved in. And, and, you know, that's what we're getting from our U.S. news media. We're not getting in much into the discussion of what is really going on in the region. And, I, again, that's something else I will get to in a moment. We're not getting much of a bigger picture. When I, we almost never get any history. I mean, it would be a very simple paragraph to write in a newspaper or even to put into a television news script that the Palestinians have been offered statehood some form of it, several times since 1947, and they've rejected it every time. And how stupid and ignorant do you have to be of history to continue to say things like, well, they're going to reject this financial thing because what they really want is statehood. That's well, not true. Palestinians don't want statehood. They don't. And that's not my opinion. It's just, it's, it's historical fact. They've rejected statehood on many occasions. Now, do they want statehood would they accept the statehood if the Jews didn't have a state? Well, then maybe they would. But statehood on its own, with, without getting rid of all the Jews, and without getting rid of the Jewish state, has never been anything the Palestinians have ever been interested in. And that's just a historical fact. And anybody who writes about peace processes, processes in Israel, or you know, in the Middle East, or any, or any plan, who doesn't include that fact, is just not being a very honest and thorough journalist. 
or professor or activist or whatever you want to, or, or whoever is talking about this issue. And that means about nine out of the 10 of the people who, who do engage in that are not honest and not really being thorough because that's a very important fact. The response from the Palestinians has been very much consistent really since 1947. This has been the same consistent rejection of anything that has to do with any kind of real partnership, any kind of a real deal. The Palestinians have always rejected. They did accept the 1993-94 you know, Oslo Accord process, which was literally the Israelis just giving them something. They didn't have to give up anything for that. So if you give them something without giving them having to give up anything, sure, they're willing to take it. But if you give them something and say, listen, in return for this, you're going to have to accept that there's going to be a Jewish state, and they're not going to take it. Never. And just to give you an idea of how much they're rejecting it, the Palestinians have not only rejected going to the Bahrain conference, not only rejected the Trump peace plan sight unseen, which they've done for more than a year, but they are planning violent protests against this conference. And they are threatening the lives of any Arab who goes to this conference, including there are some Palestinians who are going, not officially from the Palestinian Authority, of course, or Hamas, but some individual Palestinian people are going. And they've already been disowned and, and by their families and, 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 and the like. And they are calling their protest group arrangement against the Bahrain conference called the Holocaust in Bahrain. So they are literally comparing the murder of 6 million Jews and 6 million other people by the Nazis to a conference meant to list economic incentives for Palestinians to live in peace and not be killed, and, live, and, and have some kind of autonomy. That's how the Palestinians are looking at that. I mean, how many times do we have to refer to the very telling and one of the most enduring commentaries ever about the Middle East peace process that was ever made by former, the late Prime Minister Golda Meir, who's never been wrong with this statement. The statement has never been really not relevant to a conversation about it. She just said, as, as many of you probably know what I'm about to say, that we'll have peace, the Arabs and the Jews will have peace when the Arab mothers would rather see their sons live than die. When they hate the Jews less than they love their own sons. If they would just love their own sons enough to actually have them want to live more than they hate the Jews, more than they'd rather see them dead. And right now, we're just not there. The Palestinians would rather have no state, no autonomy, no economic prosperity, as long as, it, as long as that helps to kill Jews. They could have all those things, and if they're offered that, along with the Jews having a, a, a life of peace and prosperity and autonomy, they don't want it. They'd rather have their own people die. So that's where we are. That's where we've been. 71 years and counting officially since the first real offer of statehood, but longer than that. Things started to go into the trash can between the, the, the Jews and the Arabs in what was then Palestine, the Palestinian mandate, first under Turkey, and then, of course, the, the British and Israel. Things started going into the garbage in the 1930s, there, 1929, to, to be specific. Before that, there was, there was some pretty good cooperation until certain nationalist movements. You've heard me talk about this on Novak Now before, and I urge you to read some of the source material that I've tweeted many times. Again, my Twitter feed is at JakeJakeNY, and I'll repost it after uh, this program so that you can see some of the books about this. The origins of that fascist hate for the Jews among radical Islam that was not there before the Nazis kind of taught it 
to the Arab world. They taught it to them in a direct way, with radio programs and published material. They, talked, they, they, they taught it to them in an indirect way, with the embracing of the Muft, Grand Mufti of Jerusalem by Adolf Hitler. And that's why we're so stuck. We're so stuck because there's no peace to be made among people who want to have genocide. Okay? And of course they project all that stuff onto the Jews. They love to call the Jews Nazis. They love to call them genocidal. None of that is true. But when you're guilty of something, there's a type of person, a very common type of person, when, he's, when he or she is guilty of something, they accuse other people, they accuse their enemies of, of being what they are. And it, it's very frustrating. So they're calling it a holocaust. They are literally calling it a holocaust. Look at the Jerusalem Post uh, from Sunday, and they will describe the title, and, and they report on the title that the Palestinians are giving to their little counter-conference counter that they're going to have in, I guess, the West Bank, and they're calling it the holocaust in Bahrain. I mean, it, it's just, what kind of negotiation can you have with people like this? And by the way, I think that's part of the point. I think that's part of the point. I think part of what's going on with this Trump peace plan, part of what's going on with this economic deal, is contrary to what you're seeing in the news media, that the Trump administration thinks that economics can solve all the problems, and the Trump administration is being naive about that. That's, that's the general message you're getting in the English language news media throughout the world, that the Trump administration is being naive that, they, that, that what the Palestinians really want is statehood, which, of course, is a lie, as I've explained earlier. And they're saying that that's really what they want. So the Trump administration trying to talk about economic incentives is stupid, naive, really is bad. And, of course, I think they're missing the point because I think actually the Trump administration and people like Jason Greenblatt and, and Jared Kushner, I think that they know all of this. I think they know darn well that the Palestinians and their situation vis-a-vis Israel, is not about economics. Are the Palestinians in Gaza, especially, and in parts of the West Bank, dealing with economic hardship? Absolutely. Do the Palestinian leaders care? Absolutely not. (laughs) Uh, Does somebody like Jason Greenblatt know that finances is not what's fueling the hatred of the Palestinians for the Jewish people and for the state of Israel? I think Jason Greenblatt knows that. I think he knows that. He's all too well-versed in the situation in, in the region to know that, to not know that. He knows it. He knows it. People who believe that are the ones who are naive. And the Western news media has that part right. What they're getting wrong is the assumption that the Trump administration and the Greenblatts and Kushners of the world don't understand that. Because there is a group of Arabs in the region Arab countries in the region, who are interested in improving their economic situation, who are actually a little bit more than interested about it. They're desperate to diversify their economic situation away from just petroleum. And they are very interested in partnering more with the United States and partnering even more with Israel, even with Israel, for that reason. And of course, the other big reason, which is they're afraid of Iran. Arab countries are afraid of Iran, and they know that Israel can be a ticket to not only economic, better economic prosperity, whether it's because they're being nice to Israel and the United States will reward them more for it, or because Israel actually has economic opportunities that they can work with, just between the two of them, let alone the United States getting involved. And they also know that being friendly with Israel will also provide more support from the United States and from Israel in their military issues with Iran, which are never-ending. Never-ending. So... That, to me, is this big, big story that the Western news media is falling down on the job covering. It's not that the Palestinians are going to reject this Bahrain conference. Of course they're going to reject it. They've rejected any kind of a peace talk. 
for, for years and years and years now. Of course they're going to reject this. What's exciting about this Bahrain conference is that Bahrain is hosting it, that Saudi Arabia is coming, that the United Arab Emirates is coming, that Oman, Egypt, Jordan, they're coming. This is exciting. The Palestinian issue is an intractable one for many, many reasons. One of the biggest reasons is that they don't have an organic leadership. The leadership of the Palestinians, whether it was Yasser Arafat, or whether it's been with Mahmoud Abbas, or whether it's been with Hamas, has always been funded and encouraged by non-Palestinians. And for many years, countries like Saudi Arabia were part of that outside encouragement. The Palestinians existed as a cause, as a political entity, because people like the Saudis, the Wahhabi Saudis, later on the Shiite radicals in Iran, and always, always, always the hand of the, of the USSR, which actually created really the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO. They were trying to be troublemakers. The Palestinians were being used as a troublemaker wedge against Israel and against the United States. There was never really an organic movement to speak of within the Palestinian people. Their leaders have always been controlled by others, which is why there's never been an incentive for Yasser Arafat or Mahmoud Abbas to make a final peace deal with the Israelis because that's not why they exist. They exist to kill Israelis. They exist to embarrass Israel. They exist to annoy the United States. So in some ways, the Bahrain conference is a success because it's going to get some individual Palestinians out from under that shadow of the Mahmoud Abbas Palestinian Authority model, and we'll find out some of these people's names. Maybe they'll, they could be the new leaders of, 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 of some kind of movement for the Palestinians. But for now, we're just going to give them that chance. But I do believe that that's what the Trump administration and the Jason Greenblatt's and, and Jared Kushner's are trying to do. They're trying to get around the intractable issue of the Palestinians and improve the relations with these other Arab countries that are coming around in a big way, especially since the elevation of Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, who has been attacked and maligned by the Western news media, much at the behest and at the, I believe, the, because of the payments from countries like Qatar, which goes through, you know, which is basically Iran, because they know that he's changing things in that region. Is he a great, wonderful, righteous guy? No, but that's not the point. The point is he's more, he's more practical. He's the one leading this movement among the Arab countries to get more diversified away from oil. And that's going to be a very difficult process for a country that has no decent education system, doesn't have a great infrastructure, and all in the whole nine yards. But they know they need to rely more on just petroleum, and they know they need to get friendlier with Israel and the United States to do it. And that is an encouraging sign. And to have a conference slash workshop in Bahrain that brings in all these other Arab countries, Palestinian authority or no Palestinian authority, peace deal or no peace deal, that's real progress. And what it says to the world is that these Arab countries are no longer considered the Palestinian issue to be a deal breaker with, to, to discuss their future. That's has always been one of these deal breakers that, that, the, that you could get the Arab world to, to lose their minds, to lose their rationality because you're talking about the Palestinians and then they won't sit down with anyone uh, and they'll, uh, they'll certainly not sit down with the United States or any kind of friend of Israel. And that's just not going to be the case this coming week with this conference in Bahrain. It's going to be very historic. And the Western news media will pour, pour as much cold water on it as possible because either they're just not friendly which is the case in many cases, or they're just too ignorant, which is the case in even more cases. They don't see what's going on here. They don't see what's going on here. And that's, that's unfortunate, and it's frustrating, but the good news is that it's still happening.
It's still happening. Saudi Arabia is getting it. The United Arab Emirates is getting it. Jordan, Egypt, Oman, Bahrain. They're getting it. They get it. And the other countries that are coming, it's very, very important that they no longer consider the Palestinian issue to be a deal breaker. They can move on. And so now we're left with the situation now where the only real entity supporting the Palestinian situation that, which, like, that I described earlier, that, that exists to kill Jews, that exists to embarrass Israel, that exists to annoy the United States, which is what the Palestinian movement has been about since the USSR created it in the 1960s. Their only big supporter now is Iran, and Iran has got problems of its own, if you haven't been paying attention. Iran is running out of money to, to, to give to the Palestinians and all their other troublemakers. Now, they've pressed a panic button in Tehran, and they've extra- instructed Hamas, the Houthis, and Hezbollah, and everyone to get as belligerent as possible right now. But that's only going to last for so long. And it's frustrating and scary, and the things that are going on in the Gulf, and the things that are going on in Yemen, and, and, and the rockets from Gaza, and the issues with Hezbollah in the north of Israel, all that's frightening right now. It's nothing to ignore. But if Iran now is the last survivor, the sole survivor, the last provider of money and belligerence and weapons to the Palestinians, then we're, gonna, we're in a really good place right now, if you're Israel, to ride this out. If the regime can be changed in Iran, if the regime can be, or, or just strangled out of its ability to use its money to, to support these warring causes, then some real improvement can happen for Israel in its relationship with this Palestinian entity which has been threatening the existence and threatening and, and killing Jews and, and threatening the existence of, of, well, the peaceful existence of Israel for a long time. For a long time, as we know. As we know. The sad thing, though, is getting back to the original point of that conference about the, the economic opportunity. The sad thing is, is that it is a good example of how financial situations are not at the root cause of terrorism. It's a sad example of it, but it's a, it's a point that I've wanted to make, uh, that I have made many, many times. I've written about it on many occasions. I've talked about it here on the Nachum Siegel Network here on Novak Now, but I want to talk about it again because it's important to understand this. Because the same people, the same people in the news media and academia who are going to get on television this week and laugh and scoff at Jared Kushner and Jason Greenblatt and the Israelis and Donald Trump and talk about how stupid it is of them to try to use money to solve this problem in, 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 between the Israelis and the Palestinians. These same people, before in the years leading up to this, and they'll do it again in the future, I promise you, will pedal at the same time, will peddle the notion that it's the financial hardships of the Palestinian people that leads them into terrorism and to not want to be peaceful. And I think a big part of this conference is to kind of shine the light on the lie that that, happened, that, that truly is. That that truly is. Because it is a lie. It's not true. The Palestinian people and the Palestinian leaders hate Israel because they've been taught to hate Israel from birth. They are an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is an offshoot of the Nazi Party. The Nazi Party inspired the Muslim Brotherhood. So they're not interested in making a financial deal to improve their lives. They're interested in killing Jews. They're not interested in a state either. They're interested in a state that has no Jews. They're interested in a state that does not have to be neighboring a Jewish state, ever. 
So it's not going to solve that problem. But we live in a world where most of the people in the world, including the supposedly smart and elite people in the world, believe that if we solve economic problems, we will solve crime, we will solve war. It's not true. Let's start with terrorism. Osama bin Laden, was he a poor man? No, he was one of the richest people in Saudi Arabia. He was wealthy. He had multiple wives. He could have lived a very happy and peaceful life. He decided that hatred was his better, his better path. The underwear bomber, whose name escapes me, the African Islam, Muslim man, who they caught on the plane trying to bring in explosives in his underwear. That's why they call him the underwear bomber. Came from a wealthy family. Was not poor. Just had hatred in his heart. Probably taught from birth. Radicalized by who knows what, but it certainly wasn't economics. The men in Sri Lanka, the Muslim men in Sri Lanka, who blew up all the churches on Easter Sunday, where Christians were praying. All very wealthy. Wealthy families. It's just a lie. It's just a lie to believe that finances and economic hardship leads to violence. And that's true in the Middle East, and in Sri Lanka, and on the streets of New York City. The belief that poor people only become criminals and robbers because they're poor is not true. And you are just as likely to be robbed and mugged and attacked by a wealthy person as you are a poor person. In fact, when it comes to violent crime in the world, away from terrorism, your assailant is most likely to be someone who's in your family or, or a loved one or someone you know really well. It's got nothing to do with them being poor and wanting to lash out at some rich person. It's not what, that's, not, that's not the root cause. But yet we're still led to believe this nonsense. And we're led to believe that if we lay, you know, if we're just a little bit nicer to poor people, they won't, they won't mug us and they won't attack us. So if we stop giving them a ticket for urinating in public or jumping the fare, the, the turnstile on the subway, that's going to lead, that's going to make them happier and they'll be less inspired to commit crimes. It's not true. First of all, I think that that's a real slur on per, poor people. Like I said, poor people aren't any more likely to steal from you, even though they might need the money more, than a rich person. And, you know, just read your, your, your headlines in the financial newspapers and you'll see what I'm talking about. The people who are stealing money at the high-level corporate level are never the poor, okay? And it's just one of those major lies that continues to get promoted and repeated and believed by people over and over and over again. It's not about that. It's about getting to the core of why they're hatred, why they're lashing out. If someone is poor, is it okay for them to feel bad about it? Absolutely. But only a precious few will take at that anger and lash out in some way, literally lash out. And that usually will be because of something in addition to poverty is nothing to do with poverty. Because crime and poverty, and if you remember anything else about this edition of Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network, remember this. Crime and poverty are not the cause of, are, 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 are not because of poverty. In other words, Poverty does not cause crime and violence. Crime and violence causes poverty. It's the other way around. And anywhere in the world where you see crime and poverty, you can be sure that violence preceded that crime and poverty. That vandalism preceded that crime and poverty. That's what happened. So when we see war in the Middle East, or we see terrorism in the Middle East, it was... Going, every time it happens, it makes people poorer. Are you more likely to go to a business where there's been a bombing or where there's been some vandalism? It doesn't have to always be terrorism. Are you going to go buy an apartment 
or make an investment in a city where they don't, where it's okay to pee on the street. No. So that kind of violence or vandalism or crime, whatever you want to call it, leads to poverty and leads to a reduction in economic opportunity. The Bahrain Conference is actually already a success because other Arab countries are coming. Don't be fooled by the conventional, quote, wisdom about it. However, the Palestinian situation is not going to be solved by economics. I agree with that. It has to be solved by the end of hate and the end of promotion of hate. And there is hope on that horizon as well. This is Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'll speak to you again real soon.